1 Corinthians chapter 3. So we are plugging through our Church in Corinth series. Got to be. Are we good? We there? What's up, Keegan? What's up? What's up? You did. So uh, before we get going into the message, this is something that um, you know, I, I, I've been really convicted about, especially this morning. I was sitting out there having my coffee sitting there. I was able to have some, some good discussion, too, with, uh, with Dave and, and Jaime. But Jelaine and I have been pretty open with you guys about our beliefs and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the significance and the importance of that is, is those operating in the church and in the gathering. And we will go through that especially um, as we're reading through 1 Corinthians because this is a, these, these two books, 1 and 2 Corinthians, are two books that really hit heavily on so many components of the church today. And Paul addresses a misuse of the gifts in the church, but something that I want to do and me exercising a gift to you as a, as a church and is me, I guess, speaking a prophetic word to you. And as I say this to you guys, once again, we've taught this before. This is not a, a, a foretelling of anything. This is more of a foretelling. Me just speaking something to you guys, and I kind of hit on it a little bit in praying before we went into praise and worship, and I feel like it's something that needs to be spoken over you guys um, as a pastor to his, his, his flock. And I'm recording this as well because I feel like it's significant for people to understand and know this too. Jelaine and I, we have, we have numerous conversations about our own walk, our faith. We, we sometimes, as I'm sure you guys have done in the past too, we can sometimes be our, our worst critics, right? How many of you do that? You sit around and you just nitpick yourself to death about so many aspects of your life. Not even, you know, I'll sit there and say that being a Christian is definitely the, the umbrella of, of how you're called to operate, but you nitpick yourself as a wife, as a husband, as a father, right? As an employee. These are things that you guys just beat yourself up to no end. And this sense of shame starts to kick in, right? And it's when the shame sits in that you feel like that there's no real value in even going forward. Or here I go again, I have to, in a sense, restart my faith and my walk with Jesus Christ. I was going oh so well, oh so long, and I've hit this place of just complete screw upness and now I just feel like I have to just go back. And I'm here to speak to you guys as your pastor a word over you and saying, as I said earlier though, that God is working you all towards something. And that in His sovereignty and in His grace to you and over your life, He will bring to completion the good works that He started in you. And I trust and believe in that because I believe in a sovereign, all-powerful, all-graceful God. And that there are so many elements out there in your guys' lives today. The days are filled with evil, as it says in the Word, that will just beat you down to your knees and make you think that you are just worthless. You will relapse in certain senses of the way. You will sit there and nitpick one another if you're married. You will sit there and there will be chaos in your homes at times. And at the end of the day, you will find yourself looking in the mirror going, I'm just a huge screw-up in all of this. That is not God's grace over your life. He's letting you know, Matt, Dave, Jelaine, Sherry, Doug, I am so powerful 
I am so in control of this that even in the midst of your screw-ups, I'm still moving you forward and towards something. Brenda, when you feel like if you ever do that there's just no point sometimes in continuing on, Nikki, why am I doing what I'm doing? That this all-powerful, all-sovereign God is still working you guys towards something. And that is why I try to emphasize that as, as, as we see the day drawing near, that we're called never to forsake this gathering. Never. This gathering, that song that we just listened to is a beautiful song. He says, Jesus is in this room all around, all around. The Spirit is in this room. Guys, we hit on this last week in our preaching as well. You guys understand and know that the Spirit of God lives inside of you. When we come together as a gathering, as a body of believers in Jesus Christ, there's power in this room amongst us. And when we forsake this, when we convince ourselves that we don't need this because we're going to go off and try to do things on our own accord, that is where we end up getting beat up and tired. Because we start to try to pick the methods to the mayhem on how we want to fix and do things in our life. And that is where let go and let God comes into play. And it is hard for us to let go and let God because it's in our natural disposition to do this all on our own. You guys need the gathering. And I will just step forth in saying that. I know there are so many individuals out there that just think that they don't need it. I'll fix it on my own. I'll stay away. Church needs to be the place where you want to go when you're not good. And I stand up here speaking to you almost as a hypocrite because Jelaine and I know that feeling of not wanting to be around people when things aren't good. Amen. I don't want you guys to see me when I'm not happy. It's just easy to just stay in isolation in the midst of your anger and your despair. And I don't want to be ticked at people. I don't want people to see me cry when I go into church. That's not church, church. We come together to show each other how broken we can be so we can build each other back up. Because there is no body on this earth but this body in representation of Jesus Christ. We all serve different functions amongst each other. And when one of those functions is gone, the body, in a sense, can operate in a very weird way. Am I right? Amen. So I want to just continue to preach and to teach you guys that and to speak over you guys that you're here today and you might be in this mindset of like, okay, I've fallen off. i got to restart. No. God's still working you towards something. He'll use the absentee that you've been doing in your life right now, this feeling of I can figure it out on my own. He'll actually use that for your good and his glory to show you once again, child of mine, you have no idea what you're doing without me. You think you can take the devil on? Jesus says to Peter, he'll sift you like wheat. You're no match for the devil. You're no match for the enemy. That's why you need Jesus Christ. And if you continue to try to pursue through this life without him or use him simply as a novelty or an emergency box that you break open when life gets bad, you will continuously find yourself broken down and filled with shame. And that is not the life that a Christian is called to live. Amen? Amen. Awesome. All right. So starting off here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we have context of Corinth, do we not? We, we've kind of elaborated on that in the last few weeks, where Paul's at, who he's talking to, who he's preaching to, the church of Corinth, vanity fair of the Roman Empire. 
I, I've had you guys use your imaginations not too much regarding the things that were going on and taking place there in Corinth. This was Paul going. He had, pre, he had planted a ministry in a church in the midst of all these things, these, these, these perversions, these false teachings. He's got um, Greeks that are, that are all about their, their wisdom and all about their spirituality and these different practices. And he's got the Jews that are all about tradition and, and the Old Testament and things like that. So he's got these conflicting things going on. And, and in the midst of it, he has all this weird stuff going on culturally that's worked its way into the church. Okay, and he's addressing the church. But the beautiful thing about his addressing this church is, is he's never looked at this church and said, you're not a Christian. Never once did he sit there and say, because of the things that you've done, you started off here. And you ventured off into this other realm in this other way. You got all this weird stuff going on, the sexual immorality, divisiveness. Some of you don't even believe in the resurrection anymore, like all these goofy things. He still refers to the church as brothers and sisters in Christ. He still refers to them as saints. But he's referring to them as babies, infants. All right? Many of us sit in here today, and we don't like that word, do we? We want to sit there and think that we know something. We're mature as Christians. We even take the experiences that we've been through in our own lives while we were just still of the world and we want to morph that into kind of this like being grandfathered in into the mature level of being a Christian. I've been through some stuff when I was in the world. Maybe a lot of it was because of the choices I made, but now that I'm a Christian, I can go out and I know something that I can go minister and talk. Paul's sitting there saying, no, once again, you can easily fall back into the ways of the world. But in chapter 3 here, it's, it's, it's an awesome thing that he does because he's addressing the leaders of the church, in particularly the ones in Corinth. Now, these leaders were seen, in a sense, as elitists, okay? And what I mean by that is, is they took all this stuff that was going on in culture, all the different spiritual practices, things that we see a lot of today in culture, all their little wisdom and all their, their, their philosophies and stuff like that. And they used it as a sense to go and to show the church, look at me. Look at how mature I am as a Christian. Sherry and John, I can quote to you guys some stuff because I just know that much stuff. And you would look at me and go, man, look at how outward he is with just his spirituality and his knowledge. Paul just gets done in the previous two chapters talking about this, right? I didn't come to you with speeches of eloquence or, or wisdom. I just came to you with the power of God. And Jelaine, what was the power of God that he was referring to? The word. the word. And what is he preaching out of the word? What is the foundational element of us as Christians? The crucifixion. Christ crucified, right? If I come to you and I preach to you in any other way, if I come to you and you guys see Pastor Josh and I'm dudded up in a suit, my hairline's straight, maybe I'm wearing makeup because I'm a weirdo and all that stuff, and I got alligator shoes on and all that. You guys watch me, and I'm speaking in a way that's just like, man, I can relate to that guy. I love me some Pastor Josh. If that's how I'm preaching to you, but I don't preach Christ crucified, I'm in a sense draining the power from that message because you guys are all about me instead of that. 
And this is what Paul's wanting to remind the church of Corinth. They've gone this route. They've gone this way. Culture has worked its way into the church. And it's doing it today, is it not? Even with, not even just with its practices. I'm even talking about just the way that we manage our time today. How many of you are old enough to remember that, guess what, on Sundays, nothing was open? Nothing was open. Wednesday nights, what, like you just didn't do stuff on Sundays. Now, it's different. You know what I'm saying? Like, Jelaine and I we, I, we ask that you pray for us because this is a leading that we have to encounter even with our kids when it comes to their jobs. It gets scheduled to work on Sunday mornings. The devil has you six days out of the week. You can't give the church and the Lord two hours out of the week. These are the things, though, too, and there, there's a foundational message and element to that as well, but we just know that culture is working its way in. It, it's hard to have biblical church in today's day and age without trying to allow culture to work its way in to sound and seem appeasing to the people who are sitting in the pews. Paul is addressing this very thing in this book, and in particular, he's addressing the leaders in chapter 3. These individuals that are just coming in and they're just sitting there going, look at what I can do. Look at what I know. Look at how spiritual I am. Look at the wisdom that I have. He's speaking, and and remember I told you guys when we first started this, this lesson, Paul was really good at laying the butter down before the boom, giving a little bit of praise, right? Remember I told you guys about the cat that I had growing up that would lick your arm? And I always tell people, if Tom's licking your arm, you might want to be mindful because he's about to bite your arm. He's just getting the flesh a little softened up and he's going to bite down on you. (laughs) Paul is, in a sense, doing this with his preaching. I don't think he's buttering up the church, but he, he in in a general sense, is giving, and we talked about it in the B-side of preaching. He is doing what we are called to do as Christians. Loving with truth, presenting truth with love. It's not easy. It's not. It's not easy to stand in front of a group of people that sit there and think they know something and go, listen, you're still babies. You're still babies. And then he lays out why he's still referring to them as infants. And we can still look at the church today and use this formula to go, okay, this is a good way to tell if someone's really mature in the faith, if they're actually in a quote, spiritually mature. He starts off the letter once again, a little bit of butter here. Brothers and sisters, he's not referring to them as not being a Christian. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Now, he's not saying that they are of the world. He's saying that these are Christians that are in the world that are acting in a way where they're not operating in the ways of the Spirit. We've read about it in Galatians 5, 22 through 26, the fruits of the Spirit. These people are not operating like that. They're operating in a way that we see a lot of churches today operate, in a very worldly way. But he's not referring to them as non-Christians. He's just saying, listen, brothers and sisters, I can't refer to you as people that are operating in the Spirit by the things that I'm seeing going on, by, by what I'm hearing coming to me when it comes to these reports. What I'm seeing is, is a bunch of baby Christians that are still acting like they're of the world. 
refers to them as mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. There is a process when it comes to our faith as Christians, when we come to the Lord, when we're preaching and teaching and ministering to people, that we have to understand where people are at. I don't care if the biggest CEO of a company walks in here and he just so happens to sit down. He's got all the money in the world. Maybe he's got doctorates and PhDs and all this stuff. And he gives his life to the Lord. Guess what? He's an infant in the faith. He's not ready for solid food. If an 80-year-old woman hasn't known Jesus Christ her whole life and comes in here and she, Lord knows she's been through much more than I've been through, she gives her life to the Lord, guess what she is in the eyes of God, in the eyes of Jesus? She's an infant in Christ. And that can be hard for us sometimes to think about. I'm 39 years old. Guess what? I have the privilege and the beauty to minister to people that are three times my age. Now, I don't sit there and don't take the wisdom that they can give me from their experiences in life and use God's word as a sense of applying it to that. But Paul is sitting here saying, listen, you were infants and I gave you, I, I couldn't give you solid food. We have to be mindful of that because we can hurt people if we sit there and start throwing at them doctrine and things they don't understand. Or as we found out and learned, if we try to put people in a position of maturity, a position in the church where maturity is being called for, you can present a sense of arrogance and boastfulness or conceitedness, which Paul also hits on too when it comes to qualifications of leaders in the church. So we have to be mindful of all those things. He says, not solid food for you are not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. That's a little jab to the side that he's letting him, let him know there, okay? Now remember, context here. He's speaking to the church. He's wanting the leaders to listen to this. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? This is a great way to find out how mature someone is in their Christianity. It's a great way to find out, especially amongst people that say that they're leaders in the church. Now, this is some conviction for you guys. And I'm just speaking about you guys amongst the body, not just here at Agape Center, but all you and your Christian friends. If there's divisiveness and quarreling and jealousy amongst you guys, guess what? That's not a sign of a mature Christian. It's not. It's a struggle. But here's the deal. We, we've learned and taught, like we talk about conviction. How are you going to grow from something if you won't stop and admit that that's where you're at as a Christian? Now, I'm not sitting there saying even as a church leader, as a pastor, I don't find myself getting a little worked up. I'm not saying that. I don't find, I'm not saying I don't find myself at times getting jealous. What Paul's sitting here saying is, is there is a process and a culture amongst you guys where jealousy and quarreling seems to just be the thing. And he'll go into that here. Remember how he spoke about divisiveness in the church? Some of you follow this individual. Some of you follow that individual. They're groupies to an extent. That's what he's referring to. Remember I gave the example of John? You guys find out John's coming in to preach. All of a sudden, all the construction workers and things like that come in to listen to him. Well, when Josh stands up to preach, none of them guys show up because they can't relate to me. They only can relate to John. That's what Paul is speaking about. 
this, this fighting element maybe that's even going on amongst them. We're Christians, we're brothers and sisters, and they're saying there's this sense of fighting going on. For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, you are, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Guys, this is the stuff that the world does. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? So once again, he's re-emphasizing what he just taught in the previous chapters, this sense of people following individuals and this divisiveness. But I love what he starts out to say here in verse 5. He doesn't say who, after all, is Apollos. What do you guys have in your Bible? What, after all, is Apollos? What? He's not even referring to Apollos as a being. What is he going to say in the next part? And what is Paul? At the end of the day, in the grand scheme of all of this, our beings and how we are and functioning and operating in this, we're really nothing. This is all about God. This is all about why we are unified as Christians, and that's because of Jesus Christ. And he's wanting to have them remember that. These people that you're looking at, maybe you're exalting to this level because you think they know something. Maybe it's a giftedness or a spirituality. We can easily look at those things and maybe we overlook their character. Whatever the case may be, he's just stopping and wanting you guys to go listen. It's not about Pastor Josh. It's not about that. You notice I'm not saying it's not about him. It's not about that. I'm an object in this. I'm just simply a vessel and a means to preach his word to you. Yes, I have a higher accountability, which is why I take this seriously. But he's wanting you guys to remember and emphasize, don't fight and quarrel and be jealous over things. Those are things that the world does. And definitely don't do it over the people that you, quote, follow. As he sits there and says, only servants, that's what I am. That's what you are. That's what Paul was. That's what Apollos was. Only servants through whom you came to believe. We were just simply, these guys were simply just a means to where they heard the message of God. That was it. Paul didn't save anybody. Apollos didn't save anybody. Jelaine, have you ever saved anybody? Sherry, have you? I never have, and I don't say that to remove myself from a sense of obligation to go out and to preach the gospel, to evangelize to people, to a world that desperately needs to hear the message. But it isn't me that does the saving. It's Jesus. And listen, I'm not writing the mail to you folks. I'm just simply delivering it. He actually goes on to tell you what he means by that. Through whom you came to believe is the Lord is assigned to each his task. I planted the seed. I told Jelaine this last night when I read that. Do you notice he's using a past tense word there? I planted the seed, which means his ministry only lasted so long in that church. He simply planted the seed. Jelaine and I, we've planted a lot of seeds. Maybe a lot of you have planted a lot of seeds. Apollos watered it. Another past tense word. His ministry was, was limited in time. He watered it. But what does it go on to say? Jelaine, can you read it? I gotta find it now. Verse 6. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. It does not matter who he uses in this. You don't matter in this. 
being obedient to the nudges that he gives you to go out and to plant and to water, that's what's important. But look, look at what he's saying. Even though Paul and Apollos' ministry was limited, God has been making it grow. He's still working. He's still doing. How often have you beat your guys' selves up for saying, you know, you, you ministered to someone, Jelaine and I have gone through before, we've planted, we've watered, but we've already talked. Maybe we messed that up because, man, you know, we really ministered to these individuals and they're out living in a way that isn't like anything that I thought that they should be living. They made a decision to not come to church anymore. They made a decision to start just being and hanging out with whoever that they wanted to. It wasn't that Jelaine and myself never went to go pursue them, to go talk to them, none of that stuff. We still hound people that don't come here. Like, we still bug the crap out of people. We love you guys. We miss you. Come to church. Like, we do that. But we know at the end of the day, we're nothing. We know and trust in an all-sovereign, all-powerful God that a seed that we plant people, we just watched it on Sunday, right? That there's nothing too dead that God can't grow something from. And if you trust and believe in that as a Christian, you will find yourself out there not being concerned about growing people, but simply about planting or watering the individuals that you come across. The problem is we have pride, so we sit there and think it's up to me to make sure that I can make Jamie, Jaime, into this amazing Christian, that I can do something to John to make him just this amazing saint to everyone around him. I can't. If I do that, guess what? I'm not trusting in this, and I'm not trusting in him. So what do we do? Many times, because we sit there and we think, well, I, I can't, man, you know what? Man, Matt's just too far gone. That dude's just, <laughs> he's far off. I'm not even going to plant. I'm not even going to water. What's the point? See how slick the enemy is and how he operates amongst us? He actually can trick and convince you, the Christian, to think that the very thing that you're called to do is actually just a waste of time. When in actuality, you got your nose in business that's God's business that you shouldn't be worried about, and that's the growing business. And Paul's sitting here just trying to remind you and I, listen, I did this for so long, Apollos did this for so long, but Paul's letting you know that God's still working. And don't you be concerned about the growing part. If you guys want to even go back to some parables, look at the parable of the growing seed. Don't concern yourself with how that seed germinates. You just go out there and sow it. Right? Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Thank you. And I'm speaking, guys, I'm speaking to you because this is like coming from me too. Like I have to be reminded of this. I don't stand up here to tell you because I got it figured out. As a pastor, as a preacher, as an evangelist, as a minister, I can get caught up in this as well. My wife knows that. Man, if I just give the right sermon on Sunday, Dixie and Doug will just fall on their knees, wailing and weeping. I want to change. I, it ain't about me. But I'm not going to stand up here dead either in my presentation to you about a powerful word because I believe in the power of God's word. I believe in the power of his Holy Spirit. I believe in the function and the focus of the gifts of the Spirit as well to encourage and to empower you guys to not only build each other up, but to go out there and evangelize to a world that so desperately needs to hear this message. Even young years that are sitting in here right now. Keegan, dude, you'll remember years down the road, Pastor Josh, you will. 
You might think this dude's just running his mouth saying stuff. I know and believe that the words that I speak in some way, shape, or form are planning themselves in your cute head and your cute heart. And God has a plan and a purpose over your life. So that's why I stand up here and do it. Maverick, same thing with you. I can stand up here and preach and teach all day, but if Maverick sees me living in a way, he just sits there and looks at me on Sunday like this dude just speaking out of the side of his mouth. Because when he goes home, he don't live like how he speaks. No, I would hope to think that Maverick's like, Josh loves Jesus. Because I do. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So, here it is. So, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. Some of your Bibles may say is nothing. The one who plants, the one who waters. Wait. So, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For they are, they are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field and God's building. Now, how many of you have pen and paper with you? Or pen? Or something to write on? Because I'm going to give you guys some passages that I don't want you to worry about looking up right now, but I want you guys to go home and to read and to look up. Do you guys know and understand that there's a doctrine in the Bible that actually teaches and preaches about that you guys as Christians will receive rewards when you go to heaven? Now, this isn't, a, this isn't something new that I'm going to preach and teach to give you guys this sense of like, oh, I want to do this and this so I can get these rewards and all this stuff. No, your heart needs to be in a proper place of worship and all that. However, do you guys know and understand that you will be held accountable for the things that you do and say as Christians? You will be judged as Christians. This is doctrine. This is, this is biblical. Now, when I say judge, I'm not saying heaven or hell judge, but I'm saying there's going to be some tears shed when God puts a big TV screen in front of you to play everything that he presented to you that you've done in your life that maybe you did great at and maybe you didn't do so good. And once again, even as a pastor and a preacher, I'm standing here going, I know there's going to be some things that I see going to make me cringe okay but i know in the end of it where am i going where are you going we're going to heaven but there are rewards for the things that we do and paul's preaching this doctrine right here and we're going to go through it but i want you guys to write these verses down because once again i don't write the mail i'm delivering it to you so i want you guys to take what pastor's saying go home and read it and go okay pastor was it being goofy he's actually speaking truth here that the bible talks about accountability for the christian we so often just sit there and think that we just know we're going to grow and God, and then we die. And we're gonna, yeah, we're, we're going to spend eternity with him. That's awesome. But there's an accountability factor for us as Christians. So, you guys ready? Matthew 25, verse 31. Matthew 12, verse 36 and 37. Romans 2.16 Romans 14.12 2 Corinthians 5.10 couple more here 
Hebrews 13, 17. And 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 5. I just I want that to be your guys' individual reading time. We had a class, Keegan, growing up in middle school. It's called DIRT. It's called Daily Individual Reading Time. So we used to like this. So that's your DIRT, okay? Your daily individual reading time, okay? Is those verses. Give sixth graders an acronym like that. We have fun with it all day. So, so those verses speak about accountability for us as Christians, and they even hit on rewards as well that we'll experience and that we'll have. Some of you maybe have heard someone say, "Oh, John, sweetie, you just earned yourself a jewel in your crown." Right? How many of you have heard that before? Like they refer to those things like you actually will be rewarded for the, but you will be held accountable for the things that you say and and don't do and do as well as Christians. So. But he says here once again in verse 9, For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field and God's building. He is not referring to us as individuals here. He is referring to us as a body. He is referring to us as the church. Not the building, but as the body. Okay, We are God's field. So keep that in mind. Keep that in context. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. So Paul is making reference to him going to Corinth, him laying the foundation. What was the foundation of that? What was the emphasis that he wants to hit on? Once again, we just spoke about it. Jesus Christ crucified. Jesus Christ crucified. What comes from the pulpit will determine a lot on what kind of preacher and teacher you guys are listening to. What comes from the pulpit will determine a lot too on how the church operates and functions. Paul is letting you know, I laid a foundation. That foundation, yes, you're called to have gifts. Yes, you're called to, 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 to acknowledge the sacraments and baptism and communion and all those things. You're called to do that. That's what a functioning church does. Elders, plurality of elders, those things. But if you don't have the foundation of Christ crucified, you have, you have nothing. And he's letting you know, I came and laid that foundation, Right? I was giving out baby bottles because you guys are infants. I'm feeding you milk. And the, the foundation of Christ crucified has been laid. And he goes on to say, and someone else is building on it. So when we hear that language, we can hear and tell that he's appointed people to come in, right? Leaders to come in to take over what's been built, that foundation. Okay? That's why Paul's referred to as the great apostle. The one who was sent, the church planner, he's coming in, he planted these churches, and then leaders are coming in, being appointed to continue on on top of that foundation. But each one should build with care. Now he's laying down the accountability factor here for leaders. For no one can lay any foundation other than what's already been laid, which is what? Jesus Christ. So I, I can't come in after someone's planted this church on the foundation of Jesus Christ and then go, you know what? I don't like this foundation. I'm going to lay another one. That's not church. You might have a gathering of people and all that stuff and some spiritual things going on, but guess what? That's not a church. You're not being a wise builder. You're trying to remove the foundation of what I just laid, which is Jesus Christ and Christ crucified, and you're trying to do something else. You, you can't do that. You're not a church in that, in that sense. He goes on here, though, to, to, give, to give mention on six things here 
that are used when building on top of that foundation. And I want you guys to think as I'm reading these things, you can kind of use the three little pigs as kind of an analogy. Which things would you want something to be built out of and which things would you not want something to be built out of? With this in, with this in mind, that the building will be tested with fire. And we'll go into that as well, because once again, you guys hear that and you're like, okay, what is he talking about with that? We go into the Bible and some theology here and understanding that testing is not a bad thing. Okay? If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, there's the first three, or wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the, what word do you guys have there? Day. And is it capital D? Yes. You know what that means? Judgment. That's what that refers to. Put my teacher hat on now. Jarrett, capital D. Day. Judgment. Okay? Judgment. That's what it means. Judgment will bring it to light. It will be revealed with ice, snow, sprinkles, fairy dust. Fire. Not a bad thing. You want to test how something's built? Don't throw pixie dust at it. What do you do, Keegan? Light it on fire. Don't light something on fire. But anyways, like if you want to know how something's built, let's light this bad boy up. So, if I am a pastor and I come in, remember, this all is being connected here. If I am a pastor and I am trying to bring in some culturally relevant niceties, A-side of preaching and all that, and I got this foundation, but I'm like, Dixie, you know a lot about fashion-y stuff. You're a hairdresser and you got, let's get some straw and some hay and some wood and build something pretty. And then judgment comes and it gets lit on fire. And I'm standing there going, how's this? Oh my Lord, it just burned up. But we look and we sit there and go, wait a minute. If we use gold, silver, and costly stones, now, Jelaine did a, I love my wife because her brain, she's so smart. She looks at me and she goes, babe, what about gold? I go, gold melts. It melts, but does it burn up? Does it disappear? Or does it simply just change form? Changes form. Doesn't go away. You can light it all day. It won't go away. It just will change form. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. So this, once again, is going back to the accountability factor, right? The things that we're going to be held accountable for, the things that I'll be held accountable for. God will show me the Church of Agape Center and go, what did you use to build on this foundation that you laid? We found the church. We planted it. What did you use? Did you use hay, straw, and wood? Or did you use... <laughs> Did you use gold, silver, and costly stones? Did it withstand itself when the day of judgment came? Not did it withstand itself because you're able to pack out the pews every Sunday. Did it withstand the day that Chris decided to write a story on Agape Center and slam it or something? No, it's talking about the day of judgment. Capital D. And the, the test is a good thing. God uses fire. Testing is a great thing. Testing is an amazing thing. It burns it's off a, It burns off impurities. We did a thing with the men called being refined. When you heat metal, guess what happens to the impurities when the metal is heated? They rise to the top. They become visible. Right? I remember Jelaine had a fish tank for a long time. You want to really clean a fish tank out? You get down on the bottom and stir it and all the funk comes up out of it. Like that's how you, that's what testing does. God's word 
tests you, it refines you. You read it and go, ah, oh, like, wait a minute, that's what I'm supposed It guides and governs your life. Psalm 23, right? His righteous laws and decrees, they keep my path straight. Your rod and your staff, even though it hurts when you hit me with it, it still comforts me, right? This is God's word. So Paul's wanting us to know that the work that we do will be tested. What we use to build on the foundation that will, that's been laid will be tested with fire. Judgment. We will be judged as Christians. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a what? Reward. A reward. There's that word again. If it is burned up, then the builder will suffer what? Loss. Loss but yet will be what? Saved, even though only as one escaping through the what? I didn't get a reward. I'm saved. That was hot. I got through it. Praise God. I'm seeing Jelaine with all these jewels in her crown and all that. I didn't get nothing, but I got something because I'm saved. That's what he's referring to here. The accountability factor that we have as Christians. We, we're being held accountable for the things that we do and say. We face a sense of judgment. Not judgment of heaven or hell, but judgment just on the things that we've done. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? Okay, he's, once again, this isn't individually speaking about us as a body. That we are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. So amongst the leaders, amongst people, even people from outside the church, if they come in and they cause a sense of disruption, there will be destruction on that person. Now, in looking at what destroy means, that could mean death. That could mean removal from the church. The emphasis that Paul is wanting to hit here, though, is, is that if you are amongst the body and you are causing this sense of division through quarreling, through fighting, right? Like Dusty and I start a pastor or pro uh, John series thing. Like we just, we got to get people gathered up to come listen to John preach. And everyone else is kind of often like, those are things that cause disruption, Churches are extremely divided. A lot of you have probably been a part of ministries where there just seems to be a couple people that you just sit there and go, why do you even come to church on Sunday? Some of the things you say or do just cause nothing but issues. Right? Like God has a way of dealing with these individuals because we're his temple. His spirit dwells among us. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise, he's speaking to the leaders here as well. Once again, the elitists, the ones that think they know something. I'm spiritually mature because I know this stuff or I show this stuff. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, the ways of the world, right? We all like to see optics of things, right? Like, the way people dress, the way they talk, how smooth they can be, maybe spiritual things and all that. We like that. And people exploit that like in us. Okay? We enjoy seeing people that portray these optics to us, the way that things look on the outside. You should become fools 
So if you think you're wise, become fools so that you may become wise. Paul hit on this previously in the previous chapters. I had to remove myself so the power of God can be displayed. Right? Right here he's telling us you got to become a fool if you truly want to become wise. If you're parked and just simply saying, I know some stuff and I'll show you some stuff, you are preventing yourself from truly being wise in God's eyes. That's where pride is usually parked at in our hearts, is it not? We just want to show people how much we know. I, as a pastor and a preacher, I could stand up here and just show you guys how much I know. Yeah, I'm preaching to you guys the Word, but I'm using the Word as a sense of accountability to the Word that I speak and preach to you guys. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. Like their thoughts, their methods, their motives, their, their theories, they only will go so far. They all have an end game to them. Eventually, they hit some kind of conflict. We've dealt with that in ministering to people. They think they know something, and then eventually, just in discussion, you get to a point of like, well, what about this? And they're like, uh, they don't know. They think they do, but they don't. So then, no more boasting about what? Human leaders. Human leaders. Don't boast about me. I know you guys love me. Don't boast about me. You guys might know other pastors and preachers out there that are showing and display. This is a real thing going on in the church today. People fall under the preacher and the pastor, and that's the person that they're going to go see. Right? We love that. And it's just something in us that we don't boast about these individuals. Keep your focus fixated on God and God alone. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. So what he's saying here, all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are in Christ. Christ is of God. God, this is just speaking about his sovereign nature. Everything belongs to God, and it's to your benefit as the Christian. It's to your good, for your good. But in the end, what does it do? It brings Him glory. So these individuals that you come across, these individuals that you learn from, they're for your growth and your benefit. They're just simply a means. They're a what, not a who. Your present your future, even your past, like I just got done speaking to you guys, all these things are being worked towards something. They're yours. Dave, they're yours. God's using them for your good. But in the end, he's using them as well for his glory. Amen? Amen. Awesome. So, we will start next week with chapter 4. I just want to close in prayer, and I want you guys to remember what I spoke to you guys as well, just even in the closing with this about don't put yourself in this position of thinking like, I got to restart, I got to understand and know 
Time is going on. God, is, God operates outside of time. He is moving you guys towards something. That is, that is the peace of God there. You don't need to understand it. God's peace surpasses all understanding. So you don't need to get it. Just hold peace in the fact that God gets it. I don't need to. His infinite mind trumps my finite mind. <laughs> 